Welcome to Inside Seaweed. This is the podcast where we talk about the incredible world of seaweed and how this growing industry is bringing innovation and solutions to address climate change and the environmental crisis. My guest today is Amabel Hamilton. Amabel co-founded Green Sea Solutions, one of Scotland's foremost seaweed farming companies in 2018. Prior to this, she worked in publishing and spent time as a researcher at a London think tank, writing policy recommendations on sustainable issues, including green energy and housing solutions. Following a successful first two seasons developing their farm system in Loch Sunart, Green Sea Solutions are telling me that they will relaunch this autumn under the new name Atlantic Mariculture, signifying the company's progression to become the UK's leading producer of organic seaweed fertilizer made solely using kelp cultivated in Scotland. Amabel, welcome to the show. Great to finally meet you and have a chat with you. Very good to be here, Fed. Thank you. Let's start with a book. It's a book that I'm reading at the moment. It's by Bren Smith and is titled Eat Like a Fish. My adventures as a fisherman turned restorative ocean farmer. At some point in the book, the author talks about the barriers to entry in terms of starting a seaweed farm. This is, of course, in the US, possibly a bit different from what you're experiencing in Scotland. Um, I'm going to read a short paragraph to give the listeners some background. And by the way, if you guys haven't read it yet, I would definitely recommend it. He says, For growers of the new blue-green economy, scale is about replication, which is driven by setting low barriers to entry. My farm requires only 20 acres, $20,000 and a boat, and water leases are only $50 an acre. Now, Amabel, how does that compare with your experience as a seaweed farmer in the UK, particularly when it comes to barrier to entry? So I think it's probably quite similar. the east coast of America is definitely 10 years ahead of us in terms of the industry. So I think they've got a lot of the licensing protocols in place already that we don't have in the UK. Um, A lot of the difficulties we had in getting the farm and the water were related to the licensing process, uh, mainly because in Scotland it's um, organised by Marine Scotland and they didn't really have the parameters in place for what a seaweed farm would entail. Uh, So we were sort of hand-holding quite a lot of the time. Um, It did take a long time. It took about a year to get the license sorted. But once we did get through that process, it's been fairly straightforward. Um, In terms of what Bren was saying about cost, I I would say that you can get a structure in the water for for $20,000 pounds, it will have to be a pretty simple rudimentary structure. And it depends a lot where you are farming. Um, The equipment you might need could be have to be heavier duty and therefore more expensive. Um, So I would say between 20 and and 50,000 pounds, you can get a reasonable sized farm in the water that can provide you with an acceptable yield um, in terms of sales. So yeah, I think I think he's his attitude is pretty on on point with that. Yeah. I want to come back to a couple of things you said. Uh, about the licensing process. Do you feel it got better 
now than when you maybe when you started? It's still a pretty slow process. I think a lot of that is related to the pandemic. Um, right. I think they have staffing issues which are affecting every industry and, th and that's understandable. Um, the At the moment, they say that it should take 14 weeks for the license to be reviewed from the time that you submit the application documents. Uh, in our experience, this is taking considerably longer um, and often they can't even give you a ballpark time for how long it might be. That makes it difficult to plan with seaweed farming because it is seasonal. So you really want to be getting your farm in the water and seeded in October or November, say. Um, and obviously, if you're waiting for a license, that could then push you back for, for a whole year until the next seeding season. So those are the diff difficulties that seaweed farmers face in terms of that licensing process. And you would really be sensible in, in Scotland, at least, to be giving a year for the licensing process to really? take place, I would say, at this stage. Yeah, yeah that's quite significant. Definitely something that... Uh a new entrepreneur should definitely consider and think about. Yeah. On on the uh, seasonality topic, you mentioned earlier that you'd like to go to two farming cycles. Is that mm -hmm. two farming cycles a year? Yep. So we would like to seed, do the first preliminary seeding in October, and then we would harvest. Look, be looking to harvest that in around April or May, and then reseed again to have a fast growth second season over the summer. And the reason this is possible for us is that we're not making our seaweed for food grade purposes during the summer, we're growing it for fertilizer. And therefore it doesn't matter if it is slightly more soiled. Um, for, we, do, we do sell seaweed for fresh food um, products but we would be harvesting this from the first season uh, in April or May when it's still food grade and then everything else will go towards fertilizer. So the winter harvest, sorry, the spring harvest is for food grade. Yes. And the summer one is for fertilizer. Yeah. Okay, let's let's talk a bit about, about that then. Um, seaweed is a bit of a generic term, isn't it? Possibly not the best marketing strategy either, having the word weed in it but really it's the equivalent of the term plant on land and there are thousands of different ocean plants let's call them that are edible and or useful for a number of different applications you already mentioned a couple um what i'm interested in is um are we limited in any way in terms of cultivating all of these different species of ocean plants and vegetables so we are at the moment fairly limited because of our the growing of the seed in the hatchery uh, is still really only developed for hardier kelp species. So we currently grow two kelp species, sugar kelp and, and winged kelp. Right. It is something that we're looking at that we would like to grow the red and green species of seaweed. But this is I think they are harder to cultivate in the hatchery setting. So it, we will trial it over the next few years and as our farming capabilities expand, that will allow for, for us to do so. But uh, yes, it's certainly difficult to grow sea lettuce, dulse, things like that on ropes um, and to 
and to really grow a yield that would be viable financially. Um, you might get small amounts, but um, yeah. When you talk about uh, two f- uh, farming cycles, um, is that for the same two species that you just mentioned, or do you do one in the winter and one? So our fertilizer is mainly made from sugar kelp, but our food products are both. Um, the Alaria esculenta, which is the winged kelp, is really popular uh-huh. with restaurants and chefs at the moment. Um, they seem to have a preference for it over sugar kelp. Uh, it's more malleable in the kitchen, I think easier to use, um, and they and has a, a, a preferential taste. Um, but sugar kelp is still used. It is meatier, um, and it's useful, therefore, in vegetarian and vegan dishes because um, it's a, a sort of meaty substitute often. Um, but yeah, we grow both for food, but sugar kelp generally focused for the fertilizer. Um, and it the sugar kelp has a, a better yield over a longer time, so it's good for biomass um, more than the Alaria. Let's take a deep dive on fertilizer, because it's a topic I'm really interested in. How does that work in terms of Okay, you, you, you harvest the sugar kelp. Is the processing different and how it is actually used, in what form? So we are making a liquid fertilizer concentrate from our sugar kelp. Um, we harvest it in the same way that we would, we would harvest for anything. But from then on, when it reaches the land, that's really where the processing changes. We take it, we've got a, a site on the West Coast close to the farm. We take it there. Um, and firstly, we have to rinse off the salt water um, because it's important that the fertilizer isn't too salty. Once we've done this, the seaweed is then put into very large tanks. Um, and in these, it undergoes over a three month period a cold pressing process um, through a unique filter system that we've developed. Um, and it's really important that it is a cold pressing system because if you use heat extraction or chemical extraction, that can damage the properties of the, the fertilizer um, and all of the amazing micronutrients and trace elements that come from the kelp. Um, and so cold pressing allows us to make sure that the liquid that is then produced from the fermentation contains all of these incredible things. Um, and they have brilliant applications uh, for fertilizer, both used in for a horticultural purpose, but also for agriculture as well. Um, in terms of agriculture, the fertilizer is particularly good for soil health, um, and it actually improves the soil structure by binding to metal molecules in the soil. Um, and this allows better water and air movement through the soil. Um, and this is going to be particularly crucial now at the moment. We're seeing times of drought. Um, there's very little rainfall. So it's important that when you are spraying a liquid fertilizer, that the soil is absorbing as much of it as possible. Um, and the properties from the kelp really allow that fertilizer and the amazing um, other micronutrient nutrients to bind to the soil very well. Um, and these then in turn are, are taken up by the plants that are growing. 
Um, this also means it has very exciting applications for winter grazing for farmers. Um, increasingly, this is seen as, as a positive way of farming um, livestock. So we hope that an application of our fertilizer on pasture land, for example, will really improve that over the winter, meaning that a farmer can leave his stock out for much longer um, and will, won't have to feed or pay for extra feed for, for the animals. Um, and then in terms of horticulture, we've seen a lot of interest, especially from fruit farmers. Um, it's incredibly good for berries. It really improves the yield and also, interestingly, the shelf life of fruit and vegetables. Um, and that's obviously hugely beneficial for commercial fruit growers at the moment. Um, and then generally, and this uh, this applies to any form of seaweed fertilizer, um, it has these amazing balance of growth hormones um, and also micronutrients, trace elements. Um, and these are just brilliant for plant defense mechanisms, for root systems, um, and all of these benefits you get whilst also using a completely natural, vegan-friendly, chemical-free product. Um, so the benefits are really, really quite, quite huge. Um, and there is a huge market because fertilizer prices are shooting up. Um, it is very expensive and energy intensive to produce artificial fertilizer. So our method, we don't use any extra energy. Um, it is a fermentation process. It just needs time. That's the, the main cost. Um, and it doesn't require any chemicals, as I say. So it is much cheaper um, in the end to produce. Yeah. And, and so it's, it's not just phosphorus and, and nitrogen. There's, there's a lot of other micronutrients in there. Yeah. So, so calcium, iron, magnesium, zinc, um, these are the main sort of trace elements in it. And then in terms of these growth hormones, um, particular, I'll, I'll note for sugar kelp, it's very high in something called betaine. Um, and this is brilliant for the root growth, so saying, and strengthening that. Um, and also resistance to disease, um, another critical thing. Um, the other thing is, even though kelp fertilizer will be lower in these things than artificial fertilizer, it is it has this amazing anti-leaching property. There's something in kelp that really, as I was saying, binds the nutrients and all of those things to the soil so that if there is rainfall it doesn't wash them away so easily um and often with artificial fertilizers you get terrible issues with runoff um into nearby water sources um which can be hugely damaging ecologically whereas kelp fertilizer a it's a natural product b the runoff isn't so extreme because it binds so well to the soil um, by comparison. So you can, as a result, have less of all of these things because it is binding and the uptake is better anyway. That sounds really promising. Um, it can make my day. I, <laughs> so depressing. I, I should mention, we're recording this in mid-August 2022 and we're in the midst of a drought in the UK and the whole of Europe. Mm -hmm. uh, so not the, not the best of times, but yeah, this sounds really promising. Yeah. Um, you, you, you mentioned 
uh, of the fermentation and making this into a liquid product. Uh, is there a shelf life of the actual of the actual fertilizer, or does so it last quite a long time? Two years. It's the current shelf life. We don't two use, years. Okay. Yeah. So that's pretty good. Um, we don't use any preservatives so that's without preservatives um we are looking at the possibility of some natural preservatives to try and extend that to to even longer we'd like to try and get it up to five years if we can um but it has been shown to continue working really well over tw- over a 24 month period which is how long we have been trialing it for huh. um bear in mind we will continue to do that and if it still works works in three years the stuff we made two years ago, then then great. Um, but that's what we what we recommend at the moment. Fair enough. Um, this is good because it means uh, for a lot of farmers, they like to buy in bulk. So they'll buy a, a sort of a thousand litres at a time and they can then use this over a, a one or two year period without having to, to buy more. Um, and what we're hoping to do is have two or three large distribution centres um over throughout the uk where farmers can bring their ibcs to they can fill them up um so that we can can try and reduce the amount of plastic used um it's a sort of large-scale refilling station for fertilizer (laughs) that's what we're hoping to do um but very cool yeah and farmers have shown a lot of interest in that because otherwise they end up with huge amounts of packaging lying around and things so they like to reuse things um so yeah what made you choose to go with into the uh, fertilizer space? Did you know that there was demand? Was it a personal interest of yours? The reason I'm asking is really because it's not a common one people talk about. and uh, Maybe not a particularly f- trendy one, yeah. uh, perhaps. Yeah. I don't know. I know. We're trying to make fertilizer sexy here, so <laughs> we'll see how that goes. But it's 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 a good question. It's We... Um, we it was a really very simple answer that after our first harvest we were using a lot of it for for food products but you do reach a point in may or june where the seaweed begins to soil it's no longer viable for for food grade products um and we had still had quite a lot of um seaweed left over to harvest and then we were looking at what we could use this for we really didn't want to go down the drying route um because it's so energy intensive firstly and secondly because you lose so much of the weight potentially up to 90 percent um after you've dried it so it's not really i don't think financially viable if you're only getting 800 900 pounds for a a dry ton of seaweed um so we were looking at alternatives we've known where we are on the west coast that people have used seaweed as a fertilizer for I mean, really, since Neolithic times, I think they've found evidence. Um, so we we knew that it was effective for that. Um, and we were just exploring ways of making it more practical for use. Um, and liquid uh, is, is a common, liquid slurry is commonly used by farmers. So we realized that they would have the equipment to spread the fertilizer. Um, and we just started by doing fermentation exercises, taking uh, samples and sending them off for testing and seeing what nutrients were still left. Um, and we found out that it was a really good good product for fertilizer. 
um, we've refined that process significantly over the last two years. Um, and we, as I say, we now very much have a, a complex filtration system and a cold pressing method. When we started, we were letting letting seaweed ferment in buckets um, for three months in our garden shed. Um, so it's been a really interesting process. We've learned a lot. We've been working with the James Hutton Institute, who are based in Scotland. Um, and they've been helping us to really refine and develop the product. Um, and it is interesting. And I think, as you say, maybe it's not as exciting or sexy as some other applications, but it's so important. We are in the UK, we're in the middle of a, a drought now. We need to find these natural solutions for food systems um, and in order to protect the soil and improve the growth of, of our fruit and vegetables. So We've got to remember that this is a replacement for a product that is industrially produced at the mm. moment through mining and a list of other sort of yeah. not very environmentally friendly processes. I, I'm, not, I'm not sure if this is something that you've explored at all, but do you, are you, do you know about the sort of climate stroke environmental benefits of using seaweed fertilizers as opposed to industrially produced fertilizers? I think a lot of that for ours revolves around the production method because we're not having to use energy. It's obviously much more sustainable in that sense. We also, compared to other products, we're not having to use huge amounts of things like um ammonia gas which are very crucial in the production of artificial fertilizers um and really not sustainable the way that um those fertilizers are made um and fundamentally it doesn't contain anything bad it's a completely natural product so in that sense it it is much better um for the soil um for our water systems in terms of runoff. Um, it's not poisonous for the surrounding environment when you put it um, on your farm or your vegetables. Um, it is just a much more environmentally sound product to use. Did you work in collaboration with farmers to sort of test out the product? Yeah. I'm thinking from a point of view of a product development, you know, you'll need some, you'd need some feedback from your potential customers, mm -hmm. I suppose. So uh, how did you, how did you do the sort of testing and uh, validation of the idea and, and, ref and refinement of the product? So we're incredibly lucky to be partnered at the moment with one of the largest landowners in Scotland. Um, and they have a huge amount of agricultural land and they have been testing the product for the last year. Um, so a lot of the validation we have got from it has come from them. Uh, this is particularly important to be working with commercial partners. Um, in order to ensure that it is viable for these people to use. It's all well and good t testing it on some roses and seeing how they bloom much better. <laughs> but in the long run, it, yeah. is, a, is that really going to benefit a farmer? Um, 
And excitingly, we are about to start a trial with one of the largest soft fruit producers in Scotland. Um, they produce strawberries um, in Perthshire on the east coast of Scotland. So again, that gives us the the commercial seal of approval, which I think is so important. Um, so it's really critical for us in terms of the production that we are working with farmers and fruit growers and vegetable growers who will use this product commercially um, and we are therefore tweaking the product um, to ensure that that it's works smoothly for them and it is suitable for their for their needs um, and also that the the price is right um, a lot of these farmers we're asking them to change their their entire business plan They've been working with artificial products for many years, you know, decades. Um, so we're having to get them to change their entire mindset um, and to take a risk to a certain extent um, as well. So this is why we need to work with them to develop the best product for them. And have you found them to be receptive to the idea, uh, open and uh, enthusiastic, or have you found a bit of resistance? I think very enthusiastic. Uh, they are struggling with the rising fertilizer prices and they're very open to, to alternatives, you know. Um, and I think if they have been maybe dubious about whether it works as well at first, we have been able to show that it is incredibly effective and it also has applications beyond a lot of the products that they're currently using as i say for winter grazing that's a hugely exciting thing for us because the fertilizer is incredibly good um for for grass and pasture health um so i think they're really they've been very positively receptive we've been incredibly lucky um but it is it's a continuing conversation and we're continuously trying to improve the product for them i wonder if you could you have started with fertilizers directly uh, as a sort of value added product instead of going starting with farming and, and if so what made you decide to start with farming instead so we I think you mentioned this in our bio. Uh, we really, at the beginning, were working with on an R and D basis with a lot of British research institutes, and we were looking at how you would, for example, find a UK seaweed that you could feed to cattle to reduce their methane emissions. It's obviously a huge topic at the moment, um, but we realised that even if we did stumble across an amazing product we would have to import the seaweed that we used for it from as far away as Asia or Canada. And this really didn't seem to be a sustainable option at all um, and sort of defeated the point really. Um, so that was why it was so important for us to look at how we could boost a Scottish farming industry. Um, and at the time we were starting in 2018 there were really only a handful of farms one of them being the um the sams which the scottish association for marine science their research farm um and then a couple of other companies but really farming on a very small scale and mainly wild harvesting for their products 
So it was important to us that farming could become a viable option because it was the only route to scale for any commercial or industrial process for seaweed. Um, So I think we would have come to the same problem even if we'd started with fertilizer that we wouldn't have wanted to have been importing seaweed for it anyway. So we would have had to have found a way to farm it in the UK. Yeah, it makes sense. Yeah. The other thing is we are incredibly lucky where we are on the west coast of Scotland that the growing conditions really couldn't be better for seaweed. Um, And it's an area that will really benefit from this exciting new industry. Uh, It's important that in these changing times, we are supporting new industries in remote rural communities like that. and ensuring that that they have a say, I think, um, in sort of the environment and how their coastline is used. Um, and I think seaweed farming is one of the most exciting things for them um, because it's an accessible way to continue a form of, of aquaculture, particularly when fish farming has been really taken over by a couple of large companies it's no longer a, a local option for many fishermen anymore um, and fish fish stocks are in, decreasing in terms of wild fishing as well so you started your farm in 2020 so relatively uh, recently um, you went directly to farming because there wasn't much production uk production there uh if not at all almost not at all uh do you feel in your experience that the landscape uh, for seaweed in the uk has changed in the last couple of years or is it still at a very very sort of early days it's uh, stage? it's still early days but there has just been a huge boom in the last 12 months i would say in the number of applications for licenses both in scotland and england um i think People are cottoning on to the idea that this is an amazing product and there is definitely room for lots of people to become seaweed farmers. And it's important that we all bear that in mind. We are pre-competitive at the moment and we need more seaweed to be farmed so that the markets can grow. Um, And it's important that we encourage people to get into it, I think. Um, So... Yeah, it's it's a booming industry, I would say. Yeah. No, that's that's very encouraging. Let's hope a lot of people are hearing this. Then, with that in mind, would you, as a, as a seaweed farmer, would you be open? And in fact, would you benefit from having B two B clients wanting to buy your seaweed to make their own product? What I'm thinking is, if somebody came to you and said, you know, I'm a small fertilizer producer or or a food producer. Is that something you'd be you'd be open and uh, happy to consider, or are we in a situation where you'd be farming uh, your own seaweed for your own products? It completely depends on the price that people are willing to pay for raw seaweed straight off the farm. At the moment, and this is there, are, there are a lot of um, bioplastics. Uh, companies, for example, startups who expect to be able to buy seaweed from farmers for really hardly anything at all. Um, We have actually been offered £200 for a wet tonne of seaweed 
and this just isn't a financially viable option. I think there needs to be a shift in these markets' attitudes to the intensive process that is required to farm seaweed um, and the cost of the materials, the equipment, the seed. Um, that needs to be reflected in the price that a farmer is going to accept. I think there's been an issue in the past with intensive wild harvesting and selling at an incredibly low price, which is really ecologically unsound. And markets need to realise that farm seaweed is the way forward, but they are going to have to pay a bit more of a premium for it. Um, so, yes, it's something that we would absolutely be willing to entertain in terms of markets, but until the price is right or agreed upon um, or there's some standardization it's not really feasible for us makes sense makes sense and hopefully the mar- that's the, where the the market uh, will be going do you see more farmers and competition uh, as something that could help with that or is there a risk that we might be going toward a race to the bottom and on the other direction i think that it is the market won't grow at all until there are more farmers making more seaweed. At the moment, it's still really a cottage industry where perhaps all of us together producing only maybe 100 or 200 tonnes of seaweed a year. So there isn't actually really a market on an industrial scale. Um, And I think in order for seaweed to be appreciated as a potential bioplastic, as a biofuel, as a fertilizer, we need to be growing a huge amount more of it, thousands of tons a year, like they're they're starting to do in in other European countries. Um, So Norway, for example, and Holland, Um, we need to be reaching those levels. And the only way is to get more people farming. Um, and we can't we can't be afraid of a, a race to the bottom. I don't think otherwise there won't be an industry at all. Okay, fair enough. And you see the UK as a good place for farmers to come and, and set up shop. Yes, I think it is. I mean, there's a lot of sea. There's a lot of sea. Um, Scotland in particular is amazing where we are on the west coast. Um, I know the coastline of England less well, so I I would be less able to comment, but. I think that it is a great place. There are loads of amazing native kelp species that have been growing here for thousands of years. So there's no reason why you can't farm them. Fantastic. Um, and I think the both the Scottish and um, the British governments are really supportive of new industries like this. Um, so I think there's potential for a lot of funding available for farmers um, and for, for R&D involving seaweed. Um, so yes, I think it's a great place great place for farmers to come to thinking about people that might be hearing this and thinking oh i might i might have a go at that that sounds really very promising very interesting what have you found to be the myths and misconceptions about seaweed farming gosh i think if there is any um i mean it's difficult because they in the west there really isn't even a conception of what it should involve you <laughs> okay. know it's such a such a young industry um but what about for you has, has it been what you expected i guess it's it is really hard work that is the first thing okay. you have to be ready to be out there harvesting for days at a time processing until midnight up again the next day at four to start harvesting again 
these are long days it's incredibly physically grueling um you need a really good team manpower is critical um so i think as long as you're you're ready for that then you're probably fine but it's not as easy as throwing a few anchors and a piece of rope in the water (laughs) there is a lot more to it and where we are i mean the weather is a huge factor there are days at a time where we can't go out on the boat um the farm is always in jeopardy of being sort of blown away or ropes snapping and things like that so um might be slightly different on the south coast of england i suspect but um it's a, it's another thing there are a lot of there are a lot of elemental and, and natural things that are out of our control um so you're taking a risk when you start seaweed farming um but that's like any form of agriculture as well so was that the uh, the biggest surprise for you how much work it was yes uh getting the physical the physical side of it um I don't think we were quite prepared for that. Um, And I think doing anything in the water is going to be much more difficult than doing it on land. Um, You just don't, we don't have the the machinery and the capability yet that is geared towards seaweed farming specifically. So a lot of it you're just doing with your bare hands. Wow, yeah. Um, That leads quite nicely into um, my next question, which is a bit of a recurring one. In fact, I think I asked this to everybody. Uh, I really like it because it, it, it sort of taps into your frustrations. And um, what I want to know is what do you feel are the biggest challenges, roadblocks, your frustrations as a seaweed farmer and entrepreneur? It could be anything at all. So I think, like I mentioned at the beginning, licensing is a huge issue. We we right. need to work with the government to figure out how this increased interest in using the seabed is going to work um and how we can all stay friends i suppose there are a lot of people who like to use these coasts for for leisure and for other forms of aquaculture so how does seaweed farming fit into that uh without treading on other people's toes so that's the first thing um the second real roadblock um for a lot of people i think is the processing so we've been really lucky to stumble across a product that is we've managed to find a way of processing quite in a quite a straightforward way um but a lot of people who are looking at drying for example um or transporting fresh um the logistics of this are are difficult um and often people are farming in remote areas so um the the processing is a huge bottleneck um for in terms of pushing people off from starting um so those were i would say would be the two main two main issues and then um the like i said the distribution networks these also need to be improved we are in remote areas but it's important that um networks can be created that can find a way of transporting the seaweed in whatever form it is um from where we farm it to the end product user do you think I sort of want to go back to your experience working on environmental policy research with um, Bright Blue. It might sort of be linked to what we just talked about. Um, how important do you think is environmental policy for the future of seaweed, of the uh, seaweed industry? I think it's incredibly important. Um, firstly, for 
for funding initiatives so that governments start to realize that they need to to put money aside for these industries um and also for R&D as well, very important. Um, seaweed is used in so many exciting, sustainable things, bioplastics being a forerunner, I think, um, and also feed supplements that reduce methane, biofuels. It's not just seaweed for food, which I think a lot, a lot of policymakers, when I've spoken to them in the past, have assumed there are so many applications across so many industries and this is why it's really important for governments to realize this and appreciate it um because it's a sort of miracle product in a lot of ways does it make it more difficult you do you think the fact that there's it isn't one application it isn't a, a uh, one size fits all kind of situation is is a is a wide range of applications does that in terms of developing good policy um does that make it more difficult um in a way just because we are then spread more thinly as an industry mm. if the small number of us are working to sell products in so many different di- markets for example um but I I think that it can be used really positively that it has got these amazing applications across the board. I think it should be um and it shouldn't be something that that scares policymakers. Um it should be embraced more than anything. Is there any specific change that you think uh thinking about policy uh that that you think the industry really needs in the next couple of years that it's absolutely urgent? Um, I think really urgent is ensuring that those administrative systems, so the government bodies like Marine Scotland, for example, are given the funding that they need um, so that the licensing, the paperwork, all of that uh, important administration can be carried out more smoothly and more effectively. Um, so I think a focus on those bodies to start with um would be is critical really for the advancement of the industry personally uh from your you know in your own experience uh what have you got better at doing as a seaweed farmer over the last 12 months or so uh, lifting heavy weights i would say <laughs> <laughs> that's the main thing um but uh gosh i suppose it's going out there and talking to people um about something that they have an initial suspicion towards um i think there's still that attitude of seaweed being a bit gross and slimy um and just not very nice and we're used to it being you know touching our legs when we're swimming in the sea and it not feeling nice and i think it's shifting that attitude and i particularly love this with our fresh food enterprise going to chefs and really showing them how amazing seaweed can be as a food um and and really seeing their attitudes change on the spot when they take a bite um has been very exciting to watch and has been something that i've had to to learn to sort of sell the product you know sell something that people really are suspicious of um <laughs> suspicious been, yeah. Nice. yeah yeah so you you mentioned the the fresh food uh side of things is that specifically targeted at restaurants uh or is it more a supermarket product so at the moment restaurants we've actually uh in april we started an amazing partnership with a company called natura 
who are an incredible distributor of fresh fruit and vegetables, all really sustainably grown. They've got a real focus on seasonality, which is important to us. So they have this incredible network of chefs and restaurants, mainly in London. Uh, and that has been a brilliant platform for us to be able to get the fresh seaweed out. They do have a couple of stores in London as well, and they offer a delivery box service. They would like to start including our seaweed in those, but obviously the logistics of that are more difficult because it's a fresh product and it often only has a couple of days shelf life. Um, so with chefs, it's fine because they're aware of this and they're used to handling fresh fish and shellfish and it's quite similar to that. Um, but it's really, really exciting. And uh, our partnership with them has been brilliant. And we've had just amazing feedback from chefs and restaurateurs who have been waiting, I think, to use seaweed for many years. But it's just the distribution element until now has proven really difficult. I mean, for a, for a chef, it must be like discovering a new planet. It's, there's all this new stuff that, that they never used. Yeah, and you can fry it, you can bake it, you can have it raw, um, you can make crisps out of it, you wrap it around fish or meat, um, and you have this amazing umami flavor. And I think you're right, you're right, it's like discovering a new planet. It's just so exciting for them. And particularly as vegetarian and vegan food is becoming more important. So this is a new thing that they can use that isn't an aubergine, for example, or an avocado. <laughs> yeah. It's, yeah, yeah, yeah. it's something really exciting. Um, not that there's anything wrong with aubergine or avocado. <laughs> no, but it's the variation is this and, and it's providing something that is novel and, you know, interesting yeah. and, and a bit weird maybe, but you know. A bit weird, but I think we, people are quite open minded now to try yeah. things. So. Amabel, it's been fascinating to get your perspective uh, and we touched on a number of topics that I found really, really interesting. Conscious that we, we're running uh, out of time, in fact, I think we're already over. Um, where can people find out more about Green Sea Solutions and get in touch with you? So we have a website, which is www.greensealutions.co.uk. We are about to undergo a really exciting rebrand and we'll be relaunching under a new company name, which is Atlantic Mariculture. So watch this space. That will be www.atlanticmariculture.co.uk. And then finally, all of our food and fertilizer products are sold under our Tangled Greens brand. And we have website and Instagram for that. So please just use any good search engine to find us on those. Brilliant. Thanks for that. Thanks so much, Amabel. I know you're, you're very busy. I'm glad we managed to do this. Uh, it's been absolutely great. Thanks so much. Thank you, Fed. You must come up and see the farm when you can. I will. I will definitely take <laughs> you up on, on that. Thank you. See you soon right. then. Bye. Bye. Bye.